Today's sermon is pre-recorded. our inner life. Oh, Lord, as we come today to your word, would you speak to us plainly? Lord, not in riddles, not in words that are general, but, Lord, very specifically, would you speak to our hearts that when we leave this house, we will have made a decision to follow you. Lord, weigh us now in the balance. Weigh each of us in the balance that we could see our desperate need for you. Break the pride, the self-sufficiency. Lord, break the Baal worship. Lord, we need you. Come now, almighty God, and minister to our hearts. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. The nourishing of our inner life requires acts of righteousness. Nourishing our inner life requires acts of righteousness. There were three acts of righteousness 
that Jesus spoke about. I'm not talking about good deeds. When we look in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is very clear in Matthew, the fifth chapter, in verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. In other words, there are to be good deeds done in our life that everybody around us will see and say, that person is a Christian. That person is following Jesus. That's the outer life that's a reflection of our walk with Jesus. We don't say we follow Jesus and then not follow Jesus. We don't say we read the scriptures and then not read the scriptures. We don't say we are honest and then steal at work. We don't say, yes, I follow Jesus And then when they overpay us at the grocery store, walk out and say, I got them. I mean, we walk honest before God. These are the good deeds being spoken of. Acts of love and compassion done one for another. Many good deeds that the Lord wants us to walk in that are a demonstration that we are followers of Jesus Christ. Today I want to talk about three acts of righteousness that are of a totally different nature. They're given to us in the Sermon on the Mount. We begin with chapter 6, the book of Matthew. Jesus says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So there are three specific acts of worship that nourish the inner life that we're called to participate in, and nobody will know we're doing it. The only way they'll know we're doing it is there will be a mystery about our life. There will be a timber of strength in our walk. When faced with temptation, we will have strength to say, I won't walk that way. And the good deeds will be seen on the outside. These are three acts of righteousness that we seldom will speak about one with another. Let's look at them. There are rewards involved for these three acts of righteousness. Not that they merit salvation. Our salvation is given to us as a free gift by the blood of Jesus Christ. It is not something we can earn. We can't self-improve. Righteousness is a free gift. But these three acts of righteousness given to us by the Holy Spirit nurture the inner life of a family, of a marriage, of an individual. And if any of these three are missing from your life, you will be weakened, anemic, sickly, easy to be picked off by the devil. Verse 2 So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. Some churches say, look, everybody, we need to raise some money here. Let's have a $500 line right here. Let's have a $50 line right over here. And everybody come and get in the line based on how much money you can give. That's foolishness. And it is not of the spirit of God. It is for the hypocrites. You understand what a hypocrite is? In the Greek, it's an actor on the stage. None of us are stage actors. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that Your giving may be in secret, that your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So the first thing Jesus wants to tell us that is necessary to nourish our inner life is to get our focus off our own life and begin to focus on the needs of other people. 
A man or a woman, a boy or a girl who is only concerned about his deal is in utter poverty. A man or woman who is grasping after money to do their deal is in utter poverty. They are not nourished in their inner spirit. They're walking instead in pride, arrogance. They're walking in hardness of heart. There is an attitude and a spirit that Jesus says, if we will adopt this, our whole outlook on life will change. I've experienced this so many times when I've been walking around and all I have in my pocket is a 10 or a $20 bill. I don't know when I'm going to get any more money. I trust God to give me what he wants to give me. I'm walking around. I don't have money. I have a pile of things that I'm responsible for. I know that the rent is coming. I know that the car needs repair. I know all of these bills are due. I've got 10 or 20 bucks in my pocket. And I'm saying, Lord, you've got to supply my need. And he'll point somebody out in a grocery store. And he'll say, go give them your 20. Say, Lord, If I go and give them my 20, all that's going to happen is that I'm going to walk around with nothing in my pocket. No, the Lord is after a heart issue. He's after my heart to see where my focus is going to be because he knows that to nourish my inner spirit requires I have a heart of giving where I don't talk about it. I don't make a big deal about it. I just quietly go up. I slip whatever the Lord tells me to slip and it's done and I walk away and they may not even know who I am. In fact, it's more fun when they don't know who I am. I remember one Christmas. It was going to be a bare Christmas. We sat down with our two little girls. We talked to them about where all the money had been spent. Little April said, Daddy, Don't we have enough for one present? I said, yes, we have enough for one present. Have you noticed when we've been driving down the street, out at the school bus stand, there's a little boy. He's just a little younger than you girls. Did you see he didn't have a coat on out at the bus stop? How about if we take all the money we have for our present and let's go buy a coat for that little boy. Let's wrap it up and let's take it down to his house. Knock on the door and run. (laughs) Suddenly, Christmas was transformed into something awesome and beautiful and joyous. And the girls went together with us and we chose that coat and we wrapped that coat up and we took that coat, all we had for Christmas. We took it to that door and April had the privilege of putting it on the porch, ringing the bell and running. She jumped in the car and we squealed the tires. (laughs) Guess what the girls wanted to do the first Monday after Christmas, when they had to go back to school. Daddy, Daddy, can we drive by and see if he's wearing the coat? We got in the car. We drove by. He was wearing their coat. That was one of the most joyous Christmases we ever celebrated. The nourishing of the inner life comes as we forget about me And we begin to do what you're going to see as we come to the Lord's Prayer. It opens by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven. The nourishing of the inner life never begins with, My God. These are my needs. I need this God, and if you don't do it for me, I'm out of here. This is my deadline for you. You know what I need. Or, I don't have the money I need. 
I don't have this. I don't have that. I can't. It's impossible. What am I going to do? That's never the language of Scripture. The nourishing of the inner heart comes. Our Father. Our needs. Our responsibilities. Our life together. What do you think is going to happen at the Greenlee household when I say to my precious wife, I need this, and under my breath say, never mind what you need. I'm the head of the house. I need this. No. We need. We as a family need. We as a fellowship need. We bring our needs to our Father who art in heaven. So the nourishing of the soul begins by the Spirit of God as I give up the I pronoun. And I begin to speak in terms of our Father, our need, our responsibilities. And we walk then in fellowship with each other. So now we're not singled out. Do you know how many times I've had a person come and they've talked about their desperate situation. And I've said to them, are you a part of a family? No, I don't have anybody here. Well, are you a part of a church? No, I'm not a part of a church. All they want is money. Well, isn't it interesting that you're the one in need and they have the money? I'd say we need to give up the I stuff and start saying the we stuff. Our Father. The inner life then is nurtured as we begin to recognize the needs that are around us. And we begin to reach out with even the little or the much that we have. There have been times when I have seen some of you reach out with $5, and frankly, that's all you had. I've seen others of you reach out with two or three or $5,000, only because our Father prompted you to take that action. The needs of our life are not individual needs. They're family needs. So the life of an individual or the life of a congregation is nurtured not so much by giving the tithe, that's expected, but rather by giving the unexpected gift of time, of energy, of money, of food, of whatever it is that needs to be given to meet the need of that heart. Are you a giver or are you a taker? God's ideal for us is that he would be able to pour into our lives all the resources of health and strength and, and money, that those things would then just be passed right on to the person who is in need in the family. And, of course, you have to recognize we're all a family. Even the pagan on the street is in the family. He just doesn't know the father yet. But he is our brother and our sister. There is a second step, a second act of righteousness, and that is to pray. These three acts of righteousness were classic Jewish Acts of righteousness. A good Jew in Jesus' day did these three things. This second act of righteousness is to pray. Now, immediately, this raises the question how then shall we pray? And so Jesus gives us a model prayer to begin to learn how to pray. 
And for many years, I took this model into my prayer closet and I looked at it and I actually followed step by step the exact outline of this prayer. Now, why would I do that? If I were a king and I had a vast kingdom and you were a subject and you were to come to me and make a request, wouldn't you like to know ahead of time whether your request would be answered? I would. Well, there's one way for sure that you know that a request is going to be answered. And that is if you ask for what you've been told to ask for. And if you ask for it in the words you were given to make the request. Have you ever heard of a, of a job opening? And the one who is going to make the selection for that job gives you a heads up and tells you that this job opening is coming, and then they take the next step and say, and this is what you have to include in your resume in order to be the one selected for this job. You say, thank you very much. And you write out the resume according to the exact specification of the one who is going to offer the job. Then it's not a mystery when you're selected. If you want God to answer your prayer, you're going to have to ask according to what he's given to us. He's the one who hears and answers our prayer. So if we want an answer, let's ask the way he asks us to ask. And he begins, say, our father. If I say our father, that means you're my brother and sister. That means I can't act like a lone ranger. That means I'm accountable to you. What breaks my heart is to see a lone ranger roll into church, grab at a few scraps, and then run. That's not a family life. You understand right now we're at the family table. And this is the bread of life I'm giving you, straight up. But the family also gathers to pray together. The family also gathers to work together. The family also talks to one another during the week. Who have you been in touch with this week? Or were you out there on your own? This is the family of God. Our Father in heaven. Now he's going to give to us six requests that he wants us to ask about. He's going to begin with an order to those requests. The order is vital if you expect to have your request answered. The first request is, hallowed be your name. So he's saying, when you come to the Father and you begin to press him, ask first that his name be made holy. Ask first that his name be respected. Now that's against everything that a natural man desires to do. Our first sense would be to come before somebody for whom we have a request and tell them why they should love us. Why they should hire us. Why they should respect us. In other words, if I'm coming and asking you for something, I need to demonstrate that I'm worthy of coming and asking. The Lord says, no. Don't come with you into the prayer closet. Come and ask that the name of the Lord be hallowed or given dignity, given respect, given honor and glory. Hallowed be your name. Then he said, ask your kingdom come. Don't ask for your kingdom to come. Ask for Jesus' kingdom to come. Now, let's interrupt. We are going to get to the bottom line, which is, could I have some bread? 
I mean, isn't that, we go to God because we need something. Most of us would not pray if we didn't need anything. As I've talked with people, most people don't pray if they don't have to pray. And most of us have set up our lives so that we have our deal covered, so we really don't need to pray. That's the illusion. The reality, however, is that everything we have can be quickly snatched from us. Our job can be taken. Our health can be destroyed. Our friends can disappear. We can have suddenly an explosion between the the one we love and our own hearts. And suddenly it seems like they're on the other end of the world and we're all alone. Now the Lord is saying, come into my presence and ask that my name be given dignity. Ask that my kingdom come. Ask that my rule be established over your life. Now, these are not just quick words. As I go into the prayer closet, Jesus said, could you not even tarry with me one hour? That means that 30 minutes minimum needs to be spent on the first three requests. The third request is, your will be done. So we're looking at at a minimum of 30 minutes to come into the presence of God and ask that God's name be given dignity. So let's break all three of these down a little bit. I have some decisions I have to make. What if I would begin that decision-making process by saying, Lord, what decision would bring dignity to your name? And what if I determine in my heart that I will take no course of action that does not honor and bring dignity to the name of the Lord my God? That I will take no action, I will take no course of action that is not tested in the fire. Will this bring the kingdom of God? And if it will not bring the kingdom of God, then I choose not to do it. This is not a philosophical prayer. This is a practical prayer. This is where I come before God and I begin to submit my life and say, as Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane, your will be done. You want me to be hungry? Your will be done. You want me to be homeless? Your will be done. You want me to lose my job? Your will be done. Suddenly, we begin to submit everything through the lens of the nourishing of our hearts, of making God first in our hearts and in our lives. That's why my heart swelled with joy in our prayer circle earlier this afternoon when a little one began unbidden to pray. Lord, I've made a decision to make you first in my life. I will follow you, Jesus. Oh, that brought joy to my heart. I mean, yesterday as he was confronted in the prayer group, he said, no, I've not made a decision yet about Jesus. Well, thank you for being honest. Now what are you going to do? And how long will it be until you make that decision? And some of you in this house today have not made a decision to follow Jesus and surrender everything into his hands and let his will be accomplished. If not today, when will you make that decision? It will not get easier tomorrow. Tomorrow there are only more circumstances that surround your life. There are more entanglements that wrap around your feet. The burden only grows heavier on your back. When will you say, I will do only what God calls me to do? I submit everything. Only your will be done. You see, it's not safe to begin to go to God and ask for anything until that fundamental decision has been made. That decision nourishes the inner life 
of a Christian. See, we don't talk much about giving to others. We just give. We don't talk much about what happens in our private prayer closet, but everything is going to come up out of that. In verse 6, he says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who's unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Well, I was curious about what room was being spoken of because I've always believed that this was your bedroom. Go into your bedroom and close the door. But the Greek word for room here is not bedroom. It's storeroom. In most homes in this day, there was only one room in the house that had a door on it. That was the storeroom. Now, when you go into your storeroom, you recognize they're an agrarian culture. And so when time of harvest comes, they store the grain in the storeroom that will carry them until next year's harvest comes in. When the olive oil comes, they store in their storeroom the olive oil for the year for the family. I don't think it's accidental that Jesus is saying, go into your storeroom to pray, because when the storeroom is empty, oh, now you have a reason to pray. When the storeroom is full, you can celebrate and praise his name because he's brought in the harvest. It's important that we know exactly where we stand with our need and with our praise. So we go into the storeroom and we close the door. If you please, you'd go into your bank account and close the door. Go into your checkbook and close the door. Now you're ready to pray. And the first thing out of your mouth is, Lord, look, this is the balance in my checkbook. And these are the bills that I have to... No. The first thing out of your mouth is, bring dignity to your name, Jesus. The second thing out of your mouth is, would you bring your kingdom? I submit everything about my life to your kingdom. The third thing out of your mouth is going to be, let the balance of my checkbook be exactly according to your will. I submit my life to your will. Now we're in a position for the nourishing presence of the Holy Spirit to come into our lives. Because now we've said, even though you slay me, yet will I trust you. Isn't that what Job said? I will not curse God and die. I will serve him. And so again, I have to stop and ask the question. Are you willing today to submit every issue of your life? without it being resolved, without you getting an answer, without your seeing the cash, without your seeing the healing, without your seeing the deliverance, are you willing to take your marriage? Are you willing to take your checkbook? Are you willing to take your job? Are you willing to take your health and put everything before Jesus Christ and say to him, your will be done, not my will. I will trust in you, Lord. Even if you slay me, I will trust in you. Now, that's a place of fatness in the inner soul. That's a place of absolute peace and joy. That's a place where we can relax with one another. All the tension of the family drains away. All the sharp words can be laid aside because it's in God we trust. Our eyes are on him. We're bringing dignity to the name of Jesus. We desire not our own ends, but the ends of the kingdom of God. When we take that kind of posture, wow, can God begin to step in. And now this is when he says, okay, Now you're ready to give me your three requests. There are only basically three requests that we can make of God. Let's look at them. Give us today our daily bread. 
you notice it does not say, give us today our junk food. It doesn't say, and give us today our cake. It doesn't say, and today give us our Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Doesn't say that. When it uses the term bread, it signifies a seriousness. It signifies a a soundness of soul, not a, a flakiness. It signifies someone in touch with reality. It's solid food I need here. This is a life and death issue. I need something for real. Oh, I tell you what. The bread is the broken body of Jesus Christ. He's the food our heart desires. Everything else looks cheap and tawdry. When you look at Jesus, I want Jesus. He said, I'm going to prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. Your cup is going to overflow. Surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. This is a person who has been nourished in the inner life. This is not a person walking around in poverty groveling for what they can find. Now, this is a person who is, who is rich in inner life. Lord, give us our daily bread. Now, I would err if I were so theological that I didn't also tell you. It is give us today money in our checking account. If God is anything, he is practical. He knows what the needs are. You don't have to ask for a promotion at your job. You need to ask Jesus for the promotion. You don't need to fight for a position. You need to ask Jesus, first submitting it to the three requests, honoring the name of Jesus, asking that his kingdom come, asking that his will be done. Now you're ready to talk about, Lord, I need bread. Quickly on the heels of that comes the second request. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. How's your list of people you're angry with? Do you have one? Do you have a list of people who've wronged you? Haven't been what you expected them to be? Before you can even begin to talk to God about Setting your life right, he's saying to you, why don't you go ahead and release that person you're so angry with? Diana sing beautifully that song. Lay it down. Lay it down. If my brother owed me $1,000 and he stood me up and didn't pay me back, and I desperately needed that $1,000. And I come and I demand from him, I need that money or I'm going to sue you. What would you say about me? Well, one thing you would have to say is that I was in a desperate situation. You would have to say I was in poverty, wouldn't you? You would have to say that, that something desperate was going on in my life that I would come to a brother and demand of him payment when he couldn't pay. But what would you say about me if I came to my brother Norman and I said, you know, Norman, you owe me that $1,000. I know you're having a tough time. I forgive you. You don't owe me the money. It's a gift from me. Now, what would you say about me? You'd say, man, he's got resources somewhere. No desperate need here. Anybody who can walk around and hand out $1,000 at a pop, hey, here, take it. Hey, he's got money. What would you say about me if I had nothing in my pockets and I had a great need and I still said, I forgive the debt. You don't owe me anything. All you could say is Jesus. And you would have to say one other thing. 
He's got a richness in his heart. He's nourished and fed in the inner place. He knows something I don't know. He knows where the money's coming from. If you don't know where the money's coming from and you're desperate and you've got to go grab your brother and choke it out of him, you are in abject poverty. To be nourished in the inner place is to be able to forgive all debts, to let it go, to not hold those grudges, to not hold that bitterness, but freely to say, I forgive you, I love you. I hold no animosity towards you. I have a great abundance. And we do have a great abundance. Remember who we're praying to. Our Father. The one against whom I hold a debt. When he prays, will also say, Our Father. So we're family. And then the third request, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us or break the bondage of the evil one. The third request, don't allow me to fall to temptation. Break the bondage the evil one has over my life. It's not by accident that that's the last request. Because now we've gone for the brass ring. We've said, okay, I want everything to bring dignity to your name, Lord. I want everything to bring honor to you. I want your kingdom to come, Lord. I want your will to be done. I need to be fed. Give us our daily bread. Forgive our debts as we have forgiven others. And now, Lord, could we have the final deal? Could we be entirely sanctified? The tempter could come to Jesus and the devil could get no hold on his life because he was pure before God. This cry, Jesus is saying, ask to be entirely sanctified, to be made holy so that the devil no longer has any bondage power over your life. That is a nourished heart. The third act of righteousness is to fast. Now, he says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. They disfigure their faces to show men their fasting. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you're fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There is only one command in Scripture to fast. That's found on the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was a day of fasting. You remember the Day of Atonement was when they brought the lamb, the sacrifice once a year, when Aaron the high priest would go into the most holy compartment and he would take there the blood of the lamb That was the day when we discovered whether or not our sins had been washed away or whether we would die. Because if our sin had not been washed away, the day of atonement was the day also of judgment. It was the day when we faced stoning before the congregation because we had hidden sin in our heart and we would be cut off from the people. It's when we would lose our place If there was sin in our heart, this is the command to fast. And now Jesus comes and he says, fast. What's he saying? He's saying, take a set period of time on a regular basis and abstain from all food. And on that day when you're abstaining from all food, be in a somber mode in your inner spirit, not on your face. And on that day, search your heart to see if there's any sin in your life. It is a day of repentance before God. It is a day to evaluate all that has gone before. And this is why I've been saying to you, 
at the, at the close of every day, take time with Jesus and examine your behavior through the day. Examine your thoughts. Examine how you have lived through that day so that at the end of every day, if there's any sin found in your heart, you can confess it before God and you can ask that his kingdom would be glorified and you can ask that his will be done in your life and you can ask him to forgive your debts. And then there are those special days, and John Wesley said, one day a week, fast. Abstain from food, one day a week. And on that day, search your heart. Don't turn on the news. Don't turn on the television. Lay aside the papers. Don't look at the magazines. Focus your entire heart on Jesus. Seek his face. Be in a place in your inner person, open to hearing what God is saying to you about your standing before him. If we regard or if we hold sin in our hearts, our prayers will not be answered. That's why I say to you, the measure of a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, the measure of their spiritual life is whether they can go into the privacy of their storage room and from that hidden place change what's happening in the physical realm. A parent that can go in and be hidden away with God and from that place touch a wayward young person that that young person would begin to turn their heart toward heaven and repent. I'll tell you now, you can't beat righteousness into a child. You can't jam it down their throats. They'll just say, okay, I won't be here much longer. And when I get out of here, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to live the life I want to live. I'll behave the way you make me behave now, but later I'm on my own. Oh, but I'll tell you, that attitude can be absolutely changed and transformed by a mom or a dad who's willing to go into the prayer closet and get to God for that young person or that husband or that wife, that brother or sister. But to get to that prayer closet and to touch God requires that you go through the five first steps. And then the sixth one, deliver us from the evil one. Break the bondage over my young one. Break the bondage over my child. In the name of Jesus, I stand by faith that you will break the bondage over my young one. And you cry this to the Lord until you know he has heard you. And then you believe it. And by faith, you stand with a smile on your face. They don't see a somber face. They don't see an angry countenance. They don't hear bitter correction and, and railing against them. Instead, they're loved. There's mercy. There's kindness. Oh, there's boundaries. There are consequences. Because a family has to have regular meal times. Times when we sit down together and break bread together every day. Families need boundaries so that children help parents with the dishes and with the cleaning. Husbands need to help the wife with, with the cleaning and with the keeping of the house and the, and the family responsibilities. The husband does his job. He also goes and he does the work that's been given to him by the Lord to perform. Or the mom goes and does the work that she's been given outside of the home to do. All of that goes on, but the way to touch the heart of the young person that their heart will begin to be nourished by the Lord is for you to go in and take up this prayer. Break the bondage from the evil one over the heart of my young one. There's not one of you in this house today who is not here because somebody prayed for you. A mom, a dad, an aunt, 
or an uncle, somebody prayed for you. And God heard their prayer. And you're in the house of the Lord because God heard their prayer. There is nothing in you, in your natural self, that would want to have anything to do with the living God of heaven. We have been given to darkness and to destruction. But by the mercy of God, we've come into the house of the Lord today. And we're here because we've been prayed for. Every one of you in this house is prayed for by Pastor Jan and myself on a regular basis. I've heard the cries ascend from my brothers and sisters for each of you. I've been in that Saturday morning prayer group when some of you are absent and you're prayed for. And it's not just little itty-bitty prayers. It's naming the obvious bondage of sin that's on your life and asking in the name of Jesus, would you break that bondage off my brother, off my sister? In this church, we name it like it is. And I praise God that as my family, you sustain us with your prayers. Not just sweet little ditties, but deep prayers of intercession for our strength, for our righteousness, for our courage, that discouragement would be bound and cast out, that the bondages would be broken. I'm telling you today, it's this kind of prayer life that nourishes the inner heart. It's this kind of fasting that nourishes the inner heart of a human person so that we can deal with the reality of the wicked world we live in. What would we do if we had no one to pray for us? I don't know how I could survive. Today, are you a lone ranger? Are you walking in rebellion against God? Have you decided once and for all to follow Jesus? How do you stand with him today? Is your inner life nourished and strengthened in the Lord? Or are you impoverished, barren, given to darkness, tempted and carried off by the devil? What are you going to do about Jesus? Can you say honestly, our Father, which art in heaven? Almighty God, come today and deal with our hearts. Nourish us, Lord Jesus, in your mighty strength. Nourish our hearts today, Lord. Strengthen us. Give us courage to face what we must face. Lord, some today face absolute impossible situations. Lord, I can't encourage them to be stronger. I can't encourage them to try harder. Lord, I just encourage them to give up and turn to you and let you take over. For Lord, you're everything to me. You're my food and my drink. You're the love of my heart. Lord, would you be enough for us today? In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Come join us at nationalprayerchapel.com. To keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy with great joy now unto him who is able